Hello, and welcome to Return to Regalia, an Underland Chronicles reread podcast. I'm Una. I'm John. Today, we'll be covering chapters 24 and 25 of The Prophecy of Bane, in which Gregor and Ares crash Nerissa's coronation and get charged with treason. All in the good days look. Yes. <laughs> Have you really gone on a quest if you don't get charged with treason by the end of it? No. It's, again, surprisingly kind of common theme in uh in these young adult, adult quest stories mm -hmm. what else are you thinking about enemies of the state well katniss is the obvious yes. example yes but even then like the harry potter crew mm -hmm. is kind of rebelling uh percy jackson and his crew get expelled from summer camp and sea of monsters for sneaking out on the quest. oh that's right that they're breaking the rules yeah because it's supposed to be clarice's quest forgot about that um yeah i don't know it's Something about rebellion and teens. Who to thunk? <laughs> it's almost like teenagers have an inherent drive to rebel against society. Yeah. You picked these chapters in particular, right, John? Yes, I did. I really love how this is like even more of an extreme ending in like formalities than the first book. Mm -hmm. First time around, it's Gregor and Ares trying to make sure Ares doesn't get put to death or banished. This one, it's straight up being killed. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what's at stake here, their very lives. For saving a baby pup. Mm-hmm. I think we should get right into it. Yes. Yeah, where we left off, Gregor and Ares had just left the baby Bane with Ripred. Chapter 24 starts with Ares inviting Gregor to nap on his back while they fly the rest mm. of the way to Regalia. Friendship. After six hours, Ares wakes Gregor so they can camp out in a cavern. While Ares sleeps, Gregor eats raw fish like a caveman, ripping meat off of the bones with his teeth. The narration says, It didn't take long, he thought, to erase hundreds of thousands of years of change if you were hungry. Hmm. Which I think is a good quote that kind of... It has to do with this theme of like hunger and desperation. And I really want to keep looking at how food and hunger is like a motif going forward. Gregor stares at his flashlight, noting that if his last batteries run out, he'll have to rely on Ares to get them home in the dark. He makes himself focus on keeping watch because he feels bad about being so dependent on Ares. To stay awake, he tries doing multiplication tables, which would honestly just like put me to sleep faster. It's, yeah, it's like, it's similar to Counting Sheep, which ne that never worked for me, but it also certainly didn't keep me awake. Right, <laughs> Like, right. that didn't, like, help me stay up. It was just, like, it it was just something for the brain to do, which, well, you do you, I guess. Yeah, I used to count in binary, because that took, like, some mental that's, effort. That's, that's extremely Una. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very Una thing. It's something do. I do whenever I like I just need to pass time and I like don't want to look at my phone. No, no that's fair. Yeah. Or I, I need to distract myself from something. I, I say that's nerdy, but I, I counted in Fibonacci. So whatever. It's <laughs> same thing. It's, it's the same thing. I, I forgot I used to do that. Yeah, yeah. It just takes a little bit more brain power than counting like one by one. Next, Gregor tries to remember state capitals, and the narration says, that only lasted for, well, 50 states, which is funny. Did you ever have to, like, memorize the state capitals? I did. Uh, in uh, my practicum student teaching this semester, actually, the classroom oh. I was in, they did that. Nice. Um, they had to do all 50 states and all 50 capitals. Did you ever, do you still know them? I do, actually. I, but we, I, my, my cooperating teacher admitted that she didn't. Yeah. And like, that's kind of the norm. But I do know all 50. Yeah. It, I'm never going to use it for anything. Right. But I know it. <laughs> I have never, I don't think I was ever made to learn the 50 states. Mm -hmm. We definitely, or state capitals, I mean. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, we had to learn all the states in elementary right. school. But I don't think anyone ever made us think about the capitals. So I've I've never known like I don't know the state capitals for most states. <laughs> that uh, again, like a lot of them, you don't need to know. Yeah, it doesn't come up a whole lot. No, Harrisburg. Where's that? That's the capital of Pennsylvania. I see, Who the heck cares? I it's would not have known that. <laughs> yeah, but like. I don't think people in Harrisburg know it was the capital, quite honestly. It's like, who? Wow, shots fired at Harrisburg. I don't know. It's Harrisburg. Finally, Gregor starts doing the math to figure out how long he's been in the Underland. 
It's hard to tell, but he guesses probably nine or ten days, meaning he'll be arriving back in the Overland around Christmas without boots. He starts doing multiplication tables again to distract himself until Ares wakes up. He's just like working so hard. It, there's so many moments throughout these chapters where he almost thinks about boots and then he like cuts himself off. He's just like consciously making the choice to not deal with that yet because he can't. It's exactly what he did with his father. Yeah. In the first book when his, and for like however many, how many years was his father gone? Two, two years? Two and some change. Right, yeah. But it would have felt even longer if you owe me 11. Right. So it's like, it's the exact same thing. He's avoiding the issue. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like, well, I can't deal with that now. Or like breaking down about that now isn't going to help me. And I need to, I just need to keep moving forward. Yeah. Real quick question. Mm hmm. Did you ever, when you were reading this, did you for a second think that Boots and the rest of the crew was actually gone? That is such an interesting question because I feel like I don't remember much of my life before I read these books. <laughs> like they've always been with me. I I honestly don't remember the first time that I read them. So I've always yes. known the entire plot right. in my memory. I'm just thinking because I remember in the uh, first book, there's a lot of moments where Boots is in danger, obviously, because she's two. And I remember it in the first book, like when I was rereading it, I was like, I know in my head that she's going to be fine because she's Boots. But if I were reading this for the first time, I can definitely imagine thinking that she might be actually in danger here. Mm -hmm. And I will say I didn't really get that sense for this one. Mm -hmm. I think just because they already kind of did that in the first book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just a small thing, but it's like, I I never really thought she was gone. Yeah, the first time you read it, you weren't fooled. No, by... not this time. The first time I was. In the first book, I did. I was... I didn't, I didn't even fully expect Gregor's dad to be alive, quite honestly. Oh, yeah. Like, I was, I didn't know how dark and oh, serious yeah. Suzanne Collins was going to go. Right, right. But by the second one, I was like, okay, I think Boots, I bet Boots will come back. Mm -hmm. They're not going to let her go. Yeah, you've got the hang of the vibe by yeah. then. Yeah, I honestly don't know. I, I feel like I read them when I was so young. It wouldn't have, like, registered to me that Boots wasn't gonna come back. Mm -hmm. Like... I probably was just reading and not thinking about what would happen. I was just like taking it in as it comes. <sighs> the Bonds traverse the Underland with Gregor sleeping while Ares flies and Ares sleeping while Gregor keeps watch. After a day or two, Ares lands in the high hall and wakes Gregor. There's no one around, but they follow the sound of music to the throne room, which Gregor hasn't seen before. It's a huge room with a floor that slants downward like a theater. There are rows of stone benches occupied by bats and humans in formal dress. They're holding gifts and watching the large throne at the end of the room. Nerissa sits atop it, wearing a fancy gown. Quick pause, I forgot that line. Did you say the bats were also dressed in formal wear? I mean, the way that I worded it, it yes, you could interpret it that way. <laughs> I want, is that what it says in the book? No. Because, okay, I think that... what would the bats be wearing? <laughs> They, they just have, like, a tie on, but nothing a little, else. A little top hat. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. still huge because they're giant bats. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. You could you could definitely draw syntax trees to, to illustrate the ambiguity in bats and humans in formal dress. <laughs> Vicus stands behind Nerissa, reciting a speech as he places a gold crown on top of her elaborately braided hair, and the two of them look absolutely miserable. Mm -hmm. Ares whispers to Gregor that they're crowning Nerissa queen, and Gregor figures this must mean Howard and the others made it back because the Regalians wouldn't know Luxa was dead otherwise. <clears throat> and later we learn that Howard and Andromeda just got back like 12 hours ago. So Nerissa and Vicus really are just like having to go through this, having just learned that Luxa is dead or presumed dead. It's like, hey, so your cousin and granddaughter are, is dead, but like now you're queen, so congrats. Yeah, let's let's get this coronation started. Gregor looks around for Howard and Andromeda, but can't find them, which he thinks is weird. Nerissa's head tips forward under the weight of her new crown, and Gregor notes how weak and unlike Luxa she is. Gregor thinks they probably should have made Vicus ruler, since he's smart and diplomatic and not power hungry. Nerissa manages to raise her head for just a moment before seeing Gregor and fainting off her throne. Oh, no. 
First act as queen, passing the fuck out. The Underlanders murmur as Nerissa is carried away on a stretcher, and Gregor figures they also must think she's not up for the job of being queen. Then someone catches sight of Gregor and Ares, and everyone begins to shout. Vicus gestures for them to come to the front of the room. Gregor planned to tell Vicus about the bane in private, and then leave for the overland without fanfare, but he and Ares have to make their way down the aisle. They stand in front of the throne with Vicus, and he asks if they found the bane. Gregor says yes, and Vicus has to motion for everyone in the room to quiet down. He asks if they drained the bane's light, and Gregor just says, no, we took it to Ripred, <laughs> which is not the right way to break that news, my man. I've, he's definitely, he's obviously overwhelmed by the situation. I kind of wish if he had been able to get to Vicus in private to tell him, he would have said the exact same thing the exact mm -hmm. same way. <laughs> yeah, probably. The mistake is doing it in front of- In front of the entire- All of Regalia. Yeah, yeah, the, the Regalian nobility. Mm -hmm. And poor Ares, who's already not liked, is now going to be even, like, now he doesn't even have Gregor to protect him because right. Gregor's wood is shot. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting turn that this takes here because, I mean, we'll get to it later, but before Ares was kind of the outcast and Gregor was like propping up his social status by being the warrior and being his Ares' bond. But now everyone kind of has mixed feelings about Gregor too because yeah. of this choice. And it really makes the two of them like they both now are kind of not not quite outcasts but like people have very mixed feelings about them and their place in in the regalian society is a little bit like thrown but they're in it together now <laughs> yes they have they have bonded over this experience which yeah. is a good step forward for them yeah it's just a shame it has to come at the, at the expense of their status. Right, exactly. At least one good thing came out of it. They grew closer as people. <laughs> the crowd becomes furious and starts throwing their coronation gifts like crystal jars and stone goblets. That could kill somebody. Yeah, for real. <laughs> the narration says, You could call them works of art, but it didn't change the fact that he and Ares were being stoned to death. Yeah. Which is an intense line. It's very brutal. It's very, like, harsh. Like, straight to the point. Like, they could die from this, and the Regalians are trying to kill them with this. And it's a really, really brutal way to die. This might be the lowest point Gregor's had in these first two books, honestly. Oh, At yeah. This point, thinking, Lu thinking Luxa and Boots and all the others are dead. Mm -hmm. Being hated and attacked. He, as far as he knows, we'll find out later, obviously, that he did, but he doesn't think he fulfilled the prophecy, or he mm -hmm. thinks that the prophecy came true in the way that was, like, the worst option possible. Right, yeah. It, this is another kind of, like, rock-bottom moment, because right before Ares and Gregor found the Bane, they were kind of very depressed walking through the labyrinth, and they had to leave Twitch Dip behind, and they think everyone else is dead, and they don't know if Howard and Andromeda are gonna make it, and it's very hopeless, and then they find out the Bane is a baby, and it's like, whoa, everything's different. But this is another moment of, like, they re like Gregor is realizing how bad it's going to be. Yeah. Like, Ripred and Ares both warned Gregor that the Regalians wouldn't like this, but he hadn't really thought through how much they would hate this. Well, but it's like he said, he, he just wanted to tell Vicus, and then he was gonna dip. Like right. he, he didn't he didn't expect to have to deal with the ramifications of this announcement. That he, is he was true. just gonna leave because he was just honestly it seemed like he was done with life in general, but like he was definitely done with life in Regalia. Oh yeah. You're right. Yeah, he just like was not planning that far ahead, which is characteristic of him. Characteristic and also kind of understandable in this yeah. case. He really is just wanting to get out of there. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like operating at a very low capacity right now, not just because he's super depressed and feeling very hopeless, but also like he's kind of been like starving for days, like traveling through the Underland with Ares. Like it takes literal days yeah. for them to get to Regalia. Yeah, it can't be good for his psyche. But yeah, so he's kind of operating on at a low capacity. He's not really capable of thinking ahead or thinking things all the way through. Gregor recalls how Ripred said, there will be hell to pay in regalia, and thinks that the rat should have been more specific. But like, Gregor, you really, yeah, you should have just thought this through a little more. <laughs> 
also Ripbread's not necessarily one for like I guess that's not true. He is one for sensationalizing, but like he, he like what do you think there will be hell to pay means? Right. Do you think they're just gonna be a little peeved? Right. They're just gonna give him a slap on the wrist. No. I guess, yeah, Gregor has no context for how much this means to the Regalians, mm -hmm. even though he knows that it's a prophecy and he knows that he's a big deal in the prophecy and he knows the Bane is potentially like going to disrupt the entire Underland. But I think Gregor just doesn't have the ability to fully understand or visualize what this choice could mean for the Underland. Like he doesn't have enough um, political or social context from living in the Underland to understand what he's done. That's true. He might just like expect it to be like, okay, the worst they can do is banish me. Which right. again, he he wouldn't mind that at all. Right, because that doesn't but, mean anything to him. But he yeah, you go home. You're right. He didn't think about like because he doesn't know what what a big deal this is. Mm -hmm. He doesn't put himself in the minds of the Vagalians themselves, who obviously this is a bomb for them. It's right. It's enormous. Yeah, and Gregor just like doesn't fully grasp the way that the humans and rats hate each other. Like, he's seen it, but he hasn't grown up in this world where hating rats is just, like, a way of life. It's centuries yeah. of history. Exactly. Soon, guards surround them and lead them out of the throne room. They end up in a quiet hallway deep under the palace, and a guard holds open a stone door for them. Gregor notes that this is strange because most rooms in the palace don't have doors. Once Gregor and Ares are in the torchlit room, the door slams shut behind them. Gregor asks if this is a room to keep them safe, and Ares reveals that they're in the dungeon. <laughs> oh, you poor naive soul, Gregor. Ares is like, look around, bro. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it is funny, though, that Gregor is like... Well, obviously, like, we're in danger, so they have to keep us safe or whatever, but yeah, it's like... Yeah, I'm the, I'm the warrior from the prophecy. I'm right. A, I, I'm a big shot. Yeah, like, I'm important. They need to, like, protect me from... Not even that because he's, like, a big shot, but just, like, because everyone is trying to do harm to him, his first instinct is to think, like, obviously, I need to be protected, but... No. He's had he's had the leaders on his side this whole time. This is the first time. Like even when he stood up for Ares at the end of the first book, like they kind of accept they they had to accept right. it. He's become he's gotten the thought of like he's not it's not like he's he's arrogant, but he just feels like this is something where yeah, he's he needs security. No, they 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 hate him now. Yeah. You're so right that this is like the first time that he has seen backlash for his actions because like up until now he's gotten really used to throwing his weight around as the warrior and everyone just kind of has to do what he says because of that like bonding with Ares or telling the council that he's taking boots on the quest no matter what so like he he's been getting away with a lot and I don't think it occurred to him that they could just turn on him <laughs> Ares explains that they've been arrested for committing crimes against the state of Regalia, which is high treason. Gregor tries to yell through the door for Vicus, but he gives up pretty quickly. He asks Ares if they'll be banished if they're found guilty, and the chapter ends with Ares saying, No, Overlander, the punishment for treason is death. Yeah, I think he just, he may not have even, I mean, again, like he, like you said, he wasn't thinking of any of the consequences, period, but like, he just kind of assumed, I think, banishment was the worst thing that could happen. He didn't think right. that death penalty was even in existence. Right, that's true. He he didn't even know that being executed was like an option. Because like, the worst thing he's seen so far, in terms of like, legal punishment, right. rather than like, war, mm -hmm. is... Ares possibly getting exiled. And they talk about banishment being like as good as a death sentence, yeah. but it's still not a death sentence. Right. Like in a second, Ares is going to describe how they get executed. And like, that is brutal. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, we'll get to it. Yeah, it's, it's really, um, it's interesting how many misconceptions Gregor has about how the Regalian justice system is working. He kind of just assumes, like, it can't be that bad, or, like, surely they won't do that to me, the warrior, or I'm an overlander, I can just, like, go home. But, Dipl like... Diplomatic immunity. Right, right, diplomatic <laughs> immunity. But, yeah, he, he had never considered the fact that they could, like, hold him in the Underland forcibly. Shall we get into chapter 25? Yes. 
All right, so Ares explains to Gregor that a tribunal of judges will decide if not killing the Bane was a treasonous act, and the final sentence must be approved by the queen. Gregor starts to say that Luxa won't let them kill him in Ares, then remembers that Nerissa is queen now. <laughs> he asks if Nerissa would let them be charged with treason, and Ares admits that he's successfully avoided her since he let Henry die, <laughs> so he doesn't know. <laughs> Ares apologizes to Gregor for not predicting that this would happen. Gregor tries to tell him that it's not his fault, but Ares starts rambling about how he only expected them to be banished, and then he could have flown Gregor home, and he would have lived the rest of his life in solitude like he was practically already doing. Okay, well, so even Ares kind of thought that banishment would be the worst to go. We've been dunking on Gregor a lot, but not thinking this through, but like maybe it wasn't that... I think it was more he just really wasn't thinking at all about yeah. the consequences. Yeah, it's but true. Again, at least he's got Ares on his side still. Right, right. It won't least... really help them in the process, but like it's got to be some emotional help. Yes, at least they're locked in the same jail cell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ares also was kind of being optimistic about being able to take Gregor home. Like, I think Ares was probably thinking, well, it can't get worse than it already is. Yeah, he's also kind of given up on the circumstances yeah like he was planning to take gregor home and then just like basically be banished mm -hmm. and probably never see gregor again mm -hmm. i mean i guess Ares knows that there's some more warrior prophecies but i guess i, I don't know what Ares is thinking about gregor possibly returning or possibly never coming back Ares definitely knows that gregor doesn't want to come back yeah. ever <laughs> so i think that he probably was just like well I'll take Gregor home, and then I'll see myself out <laughs> and never speak to any living soul again, which is super brutal. Yeah. But Ares was totally resigned to that fate. Like, he was ready for it. He was ready for it last book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he did not expect what happened with Gregor to happen there. Yep. He's, he's like, he, in his mind, he's been living on borrowed time. Yeah, I think he continues to live on borrowed That's time true. for the rest of the Poor series. Ares. <laughs> Poor Ares. Wow. Yeah, living on borrowed time is a, a theme for Ares. Absolutely. Yeah, so like Ares didn't think that it would come to all this because the Regalians have never actually put an Overlander on trial before and especially not a child like Gregor. Yeah. Ares seems to be speaking to himself when he says... I cannot let this happen. I have already lost one bond. Whatever his intentions, it does not change the fact that I let Henry die. I will not lose the Overlander. Oh my god. Uh, and then he starts plotting. Yeah. He tells Gregor that he has a plan. He'll tell the Regalians that sparing the Bane was all his idea because he's in league with the rats, which won't be difficult to convince them of since they already distrust him so much. Gregor argues with him, saying that if anyone should be freed, it should be Ares, since it was really Gregor's idea to refuse to kill the Bane. Ares just says, It will not help me, Overlander. I will die no matter what. This is what they all want. Oh my god, the foreshadowing. He straight up says, I will die no matter what. It's devastating. Yeah. Yeah, just the fact that he's, like, thinking about Henry this entire time. He's just like, I can't fail again. Oh my god, it sucks. Yeah, and also just that he's, like, ready to just sacrifice himself to save Gregor. He's willing to take the fall for this, literally, to help Gregor get home, which is very noble of him. I think Gregor and Ares both have a habit of being, like, self-sacrificial. Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of- that's- how the book started off with Gregor like foregoing food. That's right. And like he's always like he's the big brother, and I was just trying to do the exact same thing for him. Oh my god, you're right. Just on a, like another level. You could even say that like their relationship kind of started with a mutual self sacrifice because Gregor leaps off the cliff to sacrifice himself to try and lead the rats away from his friends in the first book, and then Ares is like sacrificing himself by saving Gregor. Ares fully knows what will become of him if he saves Gregor and he chooses to do that anyway. Yeah, yeah from the very beginning, they're just like <laughs> trying to die for each other. <laughs> oh man. 
Ares says there's still hope for Gregor and he needs to get back to his family, but Gregor still refuses to throw Ares under the bus to save himself. Ares concludes they're both going to die, and Gregor is fine with that. After oh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that 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 description is yeah. Yeah, he's basically like This well, is a child. Yeah, I know, right? Like this he's is eleven. A... Yeah, he's just like well, I know that throwing Ares under the bus and letting him take the fall for this would be wrong, so I'm not going to do that. And if that costs us both of our lives, that's fine by me, because I will have done what is right. That's very brave of him. That's very noble, even though it's not good for his health. <laughs> After a minute of tense silence, he asks Ares how they'll be executed. Ares says, you will not like it. And Gregor replies, well, probably not, but I'd rather know. <laughs> Ares says they'll bind his wings and Gregor's hands and drop them off a cliff, which is exactly what Gregor's recurring nightmare is. Falling a great distance and smashing into the ground. Have you have you ever played the video game Danganronpa? No. Oh, this is it's a very Danganronpa death. It's a video game where there's like murder trials where they like see who co who committed a murder. Okay. And then like the person who if they get if the player guesses right, the murderer gets executed in a very like comically over the top ironic way. So like one of the characters is very like motorcycle themed. So their death is death by motorcycle. <laughs> wow, very fitting. Yes. This is that. Yeah, the punishment fits the the accused. Yes, exactly. A hatch in the dungeon door opens and someone pushes in two bowls of food. Ares suggests they both eat to keep up their strength in case they find a way to escape later. Gregor feels a little more hopeful on a full stomach and asks Ares about Nerissa having the final say in whether they live or die. This is another like food motif. Like Gregor feels more optimistic about their situation after he's eaten. You know, because he's been living on raw fish for yeah. days, which fucking sucks. Yeah, whenever whenever you're feeling bad, just like, if you haven't eaten, you know, make yourself a quesadilla. <laughs> that's my solution. That's, 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 that's a life motto. Feeling down? Make yourself a quesadilla. Get some salsa on there. Have a little snack. Everything's better on a full stomach. Ares says that, yes, Nerissa has the final say, but he fears that she won't be lenient because he let her brother die. Gregor tells Ares what Nerissa revealed to him in Sandwich's prophecy room before the quest began, that she thinks it's best that Henry died. Ares says, it must have taken many dark nights to come to that conclusion. I don't know, I just like that one. I think it implies that Ares has had a lot of his own dark nights trying to puzzle out everything that happened with Henry and like trying to figure out how he feels about it. It sucks that Ares has like no one to unpack that with though. Yeah, there's no therapy in the Invigalia. <laughs> and I feel like that's might not even be something that he and Aurora and Luxa would have talked about. Gregor asks if Nerissa can really see the future and Ares is certain that her gift is genuine, even though it's torture to her. He says she sees things that scare her and make her doubt her own sanity. Gregor doesn't reply, since he's not entirely convinced that she's completely sane either. I wonder- I can't remember if they comment on this, but what is, like, the rest of Regalia's thoughts on Nerissa's prophecy? I know they think of her as kind of, like, weak and, like, they they, they definitely would have preferred Luxa be the queen at this point oh, yeah, than her. For sure. But, like, I'm wondering, do they, do they dislike her for being weak and also because she's- maybe not actually a prophet or do they dislike her because she's weak and is a prophet like do they think her her foresight gift is genuine yeah that's interesting i think that like a handful of people who know narissa like vicus and aries and luxa think that she's for real but i'm guessing i don't know if there's actual textual evidence for this but i'm just guessing that people generally don't think that she's legit like they're definitely not being like, oh my god, it's it's another sandwich. Like no one is asking her to start writing down prophecies right. or whatever. I think honestly they must think that she's just like a little a little crazy, you know? Yeah. I'm not sure that any of them, aside from the people who know her very well, I don't think a lot of them believe her. I mean, obviously Ripred makes fun of her in a later book, but that's just Ripred. Yeah. I was saying because I for knowing what's to come in terms of the treason trial, 
Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if, like, Novissa's reputation among the others, like, I can't remember if that plays into things in, like, Curse of the Warm Bloods either, but the way things go down at the end of this book, if there's still, like, lingering feelings from other Regalians of, like, mm, I still don't trust that Gregor, even though Queen Nerissa said okay on him, because yeah. it's Queen Nerissa and I don't really like her either. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it, is that a lot of people aren't willing to accept Nerissa's interpretation of the prophecy. Like, Vicus immediately, when Nerissa says right. her theory, like, Vicus immediately is like, oh my god, it makes so much sense. But I think that a lot of people, whether it's because they don't trust Nerissa's integrity or whether they're just so hung up about Gregor not killing the Bane, I'm not sure that a lot of people are suddenly going to switch their interpretation of the prophecy based on what Nerissa says. I bet Vicus will have to do a lot of heavy lifting in the PR department yeah. for that to happen. Which yeah. I guess he probably will, but like that 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 would probably he would go a long way to helping out that position. But still I think if so. it's just Gregor and Nerissa. Yeah, I feel like Vicus is maybe the only Vicus and Luxa are perhaps the only people who really are backing Nerissa up in a meaningful way yeah. to the other Regalians. It would be interesting to to learn more about what they think about their new queen. Like, obviously, they don't think that she's up for the job. Right. But yeah, I wonder if people are like, well, maybe she's right. Maybe she does have the gift of prophecy. But I think that um, Nerissa actually has a lot of parallels to Cassandra in mythology. The doomed prophet. Right, right. Like, she, she is doomed to always tell the truth, but no one ever listens to her. I think Nerissa is kind of that figure, and that's what she's meant to be. Mm-hmm. She does see the future, but because of the way that she is, <laughs> um, no one is ever going to fully believe her. She's like the inverse of Sandwich himself, where he mm. had prophecies that everyone believes. Yeah. Or like, if you don't believe it, you're the outlier. Yeah, I think Nerissa is like, maybe got the same sort of like visions going on if we're believing in being able to tell the future at all. But she has none of the charisma that Sandwich probably had to get people on his side. I mean, she didn't found she didn't found the land itself. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't think anyone would have followed Nerissa. No. To live underground. <laughs> no, I love Nerissa, and I don't think I would have done that either. Nah, no way. I'd be like, girl, let's get you some soup. <laughs> yeah, we can go live in the hole another day. Yeah, maybe we'll save that. Maybe let's get you uh, some food. We'll come back to it on a full stomach. Maybe you'll have changed your mind about the whole living underground thing. The dungeon door opens and a guard tells them it's time for their hearing. They tie Gregor's hands behind his back and Ares' wings against his body. It's funny the guards have to carry Ares on their shoulders to the courtroom. Gregor notes that it's more formal than the room they were in when the Underlanders threatened to banish Ares. There's a stone table with three chairs for the judges at the front, and there's a throne on a platform behind that. To the side of the judges' table, there's a witness stand that's basically just a stone cube. There are seats all around the room, and they're full of humans and bats looking down at Gregor and Ares with hatred. I wonder how they got everyone together. In the first book, when Nate and I were covering the chapter with Ares almost getting banished, We were joking about how everyone must have been like, hey, they're going to banish Ares. You want to come watch? And everyone came to like see it happen. And I think that that's probably happened for this too. They were like, yo, the warrior might get condemned to death. You want to go like sit in on it? It's just a public spectacle. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how they decided who was allowed into the courtroom. Ticketed. (laughs) They're selling tickets. Yeah. Charge for charge for entry. Step right up and see the warrior and his bond get thrown off a cliff. Boost the economy. (laughs) After the guards direct Gregor and Ares to stand before the judges' table, Andromeda and Howard are brought in too. Gregor asks why they're here, and Howard reveals that they are also on trial for treason. Gregor points out that they never even made it to the Bane, and Howard says that's the reason they're on trial, because they abandoned the mission to bring Marath home. You can't do anything, right? 
I know there's no way to win (laughs) you can't win everyone's just so angry that the Bane didn't die that they're willing to just like throw out punishments willy-nilly for anyone who was there if Luxa wasn't the queen regent she would have been put on trial too if she had if like if she if when she does come back right get boots up there on the stand (laughs) so boots what did you see in the labyrinth (laughs) baby rat (laughs) baby rat can you imagine the council would try and get like information out of her and she just starts singing? <laughs> Gregor tries to say that he made Howard leave, but Howard says he did so of his own free will. Gregor is upset that his decision to not kill the Bane is affecting the lives of all his friends. That does really suck, because like it was his decision to not kill the Bane, and I think that he would be totally cool with just like taking that punishment for himself. Yeah. Like, this is what I get for doing the right thing. Yeah, I'm willing to take that sacrifice. Yeah, he was talking to Aoi's like, it's like, yeah, I, I would, if we die, we die. Yeah. But like, now that other people who he knows didn't have anything to do with this on the stand too. Now now he's feeling guilty. Yeah, now he's he's upset because he's inadvertently dragging them down with him, which he just thinks is unfair. Gregor has a very intense moral compass. He he has a very good sense for right and wrong, and when something is blatantly unfair like this, he gets really upset. It's not a self-sacrifice if it's not just yourself being sacrificed. Right. And Howard is telling him like, no, I made I made a choice too or whatever. And Gregor's like not gonna accept that. Yeah, Howard's not blaming him. Gregor's blaming himself. Yeah, exactly. The three judges enter and the head judge asks if the queen will be joining them. And a guard says they're checking to see if she's regained consciousness yet. How long has it been? Um, I don't know how long Gregor and Ares were in the dungeons. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. That'd like be at least like an hour or A two. couple hours, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a long time to stay fainted. Yeah. Huh. Maybe maybe it hasn't been that long. Maybe it's been like half an hour. She also could be really, really weak. Right. I think it's like, honestly, like... Yeah, she's described as being, like, looking very The sick. crown, the, the weight of the crown on its own was mm-hmm. enough to make a tip over. Yeah, she has to, like, lean on walls and shit. Have you ever fainted? No, I've gotten close, though. I had, When I had mono in middle school, I fainted Ooh. once. Ooh, that's rough. Yeah. Where did you faint? In the hallway. Oh my god. Because I realized... I was because it was like back. It was like two bouts of mono in the oh same year. Oh my it was, god! It was rough, and so the second time, I like I kind of figured what I was, was going on. So I was like quickly rushing to the water fountain to try to get a drink of water. Oh, and my I just god. kind of like, and it was it wasn't like a, I felt hard or anything. Like I was uh-huh. just kind of like, it, and it was like very quick. Like I regained consciousness like a second later, but mm-hmm. just went to the ground and then popped back up. Wow. I got brought to the office in a wheelchair. Oh my god! Because I just wasn't sure if I was going to to faint to faint again. That is rough. Yeah. There, I had a classmate in my in my orchestra class in high school and she had like a like a heart problem or something mm-hmm. like a heart murmur and she would faint a lot and it was like so common that she would just like faint in class and someone would catch her cello and oh, wow. the teacher would just have to call the nurse and they would like bring a wheelchair to come get her and it was like we were so used to it it was like kind of scary at first but then we were just like oh yeah she's just go- going to the nurse again imagine being like such a common fainter you have someone to spot your instrument in yeah class. yeah wow yeah so that that reminds me of nerissa <laughs> yeah yeah anyway the trial starts slowly with the judges reviewing a bunch of scrolls The ropes binding Gregor's hands are starting to hurt his wrists, and he figures it's worth trying to get himself and his friends unbound. He addresses the judge as your honor, which I think is smart, and tells her he's losing feeling in his hands. He describes how the rope is irritating his and Ares' wounds from the squid and the flesh-eating mites that killed Pandora. The narration says, Even if she said no, Gregor was still glad he'd spoken. He wanted them to know, all these idiots packing the seats, waiting for his death sentence, that he and Ares and Howard and Andromeda were the ones who had been out risking their lives. Suddenly, he couldn't wait to testify. <laughs> I think that this has big Katniss energy. Yeah, now he's got some fight in him. Yeah, he's getting fired up. He's like outraged at the injustice of it. And he's like doing these sneaky little things to like not garner um like sympathy really but kind of just to like manipulate the situation a bit to like 
force their hand a little bit to um, either like untie them or for everyone to at least know what they went through. Yeah, it's, it's very sneaky. It's kind of devious. He's playing the political game. Yeah, he's really good at that, actually. He's very good at that. Gregor's issue isn't like being able to read the room. Mm-hmm. It's putting in the effort to read the room. Yeah. yeah. It's it's put it like it's like the planning out thing. Like he's really good at making plans. It's just he actually has to commit to the plan and that he, that he's going to make. Like mm-hmm. if he can think through things and like plan ahead. Yes. It's just he so often doesn't. Yeah. I think when he's put on the spot like this, he's he's a really good, like, fast thinker. Mm. But he's not as good at, like, planning far in advance. He gets in his head. Yes. He's very living in the now. Yes. He's very much just, like, living moment to moment. And he's really good. It makes him really good at reacting to things happening, like, immediately around him. But it does not prepare him for future situations very well. So the judge does end up telling a guard to cut them all free. Gregor asks Howard if Merith survived, and the narration says, Howard's tormented face broke into a brief smile. Yes, he will mend. I love Howard. I just wanted to say that line. I love Howard. Yes, he will mend. Yeah, I just wanted to say that line about Howard, his tormented face breaking into a smile. Like... Howard is such a, not like an optimist, not the way that Vicus is, like a little bit maybe, but mostly he's just like really happy to be helpful and he's really happy that he could make a positive difference here. He's super relieved that Merith is okay and like he's glad that him and Andromeda bringing Merith back home made a difference. So even even though they're in a really tough spot now, he's he's happy for that and he's able to smile. Love that about him. <laughs> Gregor says, I can't believe you kept him alive after that serpent attack really loudly so everyone can hear, which is like one of my favorite bits <laughs> like in in media when a character pretends to not be trying to get everyone's attention, but like they speak really loudly just so that everyone can hear. Percy Jackson does that a lot. Yes, oh my gosh. Like, I'm trying to think of a specific moment. In Sea of Monsters, again, is what I was thinking of specifically. When at the very end, he like, he makes an Iris message to trick Luke into Oh my god, you're right! And so like, he's like, he's pretending he's just like, getting, he's just talking to Luke, but he's actually getting Luke to spill the tea on everything with the Talia plan. Yes, oh my god. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. That is like top 10 Percy moments. I love (laughs) It's a good scene. I can't wait for the premiere next week. Bro, we are going to party so hard. I'm thinking about getting like some blue snacks. Yeah, we need to make some like, I was going to say blue waffles. (laughs) Stop. We had, it wasn't that we had my, uh, one of my professors had waffles uh, yesterday morning for class as the the last class of the day. So waffles have been on my mind because I haven't had waffles in so long. Me neither. Because we don't have a waffle maker in. Yeah. I've been trying to think of like blue snacks that we could have for the Percy watch. Maybe Nate and I can whip up some like cookies. They have like blueberry Dr. Pepper, but I don't like the blueberry Dr. Pepper. Oh yeah, so. that'd be gross. Dr. Pepper is my favorite soda, but I accept the cherry. I don't like any of the flavors they've done. Yeah, I'm not sure how I would like that. It's it's original or cherry for me too. Mm-hmm. If they didn't orange Dr. Pepper, I might be into that. I was just trying to to remember if I had ever had one of those. I don't... Wait, is that a real... I guess that probably is... I mean, they wouldn't have gotten blueberry before they did orange. Have you ever been to, like, a movie theater or somewhere where they have, like, a really fancy drink machine? Yep, they do. I just... I only ever get the regular Dr. Pepper. But yeah, you're right. They definitely have the others. I think whenever I go to, like, a really fancy movie theater... Like, the one near our house doesn't have it. The AMC, I think, has one. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Or, like... The one across town is like got one of those like fancy touchscreen things. For some reason, the Noodles and Company by my house had one of those. Noodles and Company was on the ball with those. Yeah. The the one I had in Lawrence also got that. That was the first place I ever saw one, I think, actually. It was the Noodles and Company that was by the uh, the orthodontists. Yeah, yeah. That was always after I went to the orthodontist, I'd always go to the. A special noodle treat. We've gone off on such a tangent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, anyway Gregor. Gregor time. <laughs> no, that was good. <laughs> Finally, the trial begins. 
The judge lists the charges against the questers, which the narration describes as boiling down to, quote, the fact that Gregor hadn't killed the Bane and nobody else had either. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 kind of the gist of things. Yeah, it's that's literally all that they're mad about. They don't really care about anything else. It's like the Bane is still alive and that's a problem and someone needs to pay. When they're done listing the charges, Gregor blurts, can I go first? Because he thinks the others have already lost hope in proving their innocence. Mm -hmm. This has Percy energy. Yes, he's trying to he's trying to rally the troops. Yes. Something Cadmus was not very good at doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not sure Cadmus would have been like, can I go first? But I, I do love how Suzanne Collins really completely changed up her protagonists. But they maintain they like maintain a common thread. There's common threads, but like personality-wise, oh, a yeah. lot of the time they're complete polar opposites. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been a while since I've read Hunger Games, but I don't remember Katniss's snark as much as like like Gregor has like some sass. Katniss is very blunt, is the thing, and okay. but like that, and that's like in Mockingjay that becomes a real thing because she's really really bad at making the propaganda. That's videos. right, I do remember because that she scene. doesn't have any on-screen charisma. Yeah, if Kat, if she won trial in this case, like she would not be putting on a good show. Like it, it, like when she's being interviewed by Caesar Flickerman and stuff. Like she's oh yeah not, yeah. Public speaking is not her forte. Mm -mm, no, it's interesting though. I don't think Gregor is particularly inclined toward performance but he i think is less awkward yes he's, he's less he's more comfortable doing this sort of thing yeah than katniss i is. feel like katniss is more self-conscious yeah. conscious about things and gregor is very much like here i am let's get this done yeah like, like let's 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 do this let's get I'm on with i'm gonna this. set i'm gonna set my mind to this and we're not gonna leave till we get this sorted yeah exactly yeah gregor i don't think has a lot of self-consciousness the way that katniss does i'd love to do an episode where we just like compare gregor and katniss or like gregor and percy because i think that that would be really interesting just to see how gregor is unique Anyway, the judge reprimands Gregor for speaking out of turn, so he asks if he should raise his hand when he has a question, since he doesn't have a lawyer to represent him. And I actually went on like a mini rabbit hole last night, trying to figure out what the British justice system was like in the 1600s, and like what kind of... The Miranda Vites did not exist. I know right. that much. So that's the lawyer thing is out of the, out of the question. Yeah, but like they had lawyers in like ancient times. I don't think it would have been like you get one appointed to you automatically though. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, lawyers or some sort of representation. I bet they probably do have lawyers in regalia. I was just like trying to figure out like what could the regalian justice system possibly look like and it's it's really not my area of study. Like I barely know anything about historical um justice systems but yeah so i think they must have lawyers but not like you said the miranda rights or like an appointed lawyer but you have to have like money to have a lawyer in regalia the judge straight up ignores the part about him asking about a lawyer and tells gregor that raising his hand is fine Gregor thinks about raising his hand and asking to go first again, but thinks better of it and keeps quiet. Classic sass. Yeah, I feel like that also would have been a Percy move. Percy would have just done it, though. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> he doesn't have that self-restraint. Percy regularly fights with gods. Oh, yeah, he is um, impertinent, is that the word? Yeah, he's an agitator. Yes, he is. I think his Percy's strength is being agitating. Yeah, he'll poke the bear all day long. Yeah, yeah. Him being a little bit annoying is, is a power of his, and Gregor is not not that. Anyway, we have to stop talking about Percy Jackson. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is becoming a, into a different podcast. It's become a, a fusion podcast. Anyway. They do end up letting Gregor testify first, though, and he goes up to the witness stand to be questioned. They ask him to tell them everything that happened since the quest began, and Gregor does so, making sure to emphasize Howard, Andromeda, and Ares' bravery on the journey. He tells everyone how he threatened to fight Howard and Andromeda if they didn't leave with Merith. When a judge asks Gregor why he didn't want them with him, Gregor lists the reasons. They needed to get Merith home. A large group in the maze wouldn't have been a good idea. He wanted his family to know what happened to him. And because, quote, the bane was mine. 
This last part shocks the crowd, and Gregor goes on to explain that the Bane was supposed to be his to kill, like the prophecy said. Gregor says, In the end, it was always my job, and it was my call who I wanted to take into that maze, not yours. Anyway, if you kill Howard and Andromeda because they came back, that's just murder. Nobody could have done better than they did. He looks over at his friends and sees Howard mouth a silent thank you at him. I love this. I love Gregor being like, hey, you told me I'm the warrior. I'm being the warrior mm. and I'm making decisions. Just because I'm your warrior does not mean that I'm going to do what you need me to do all the time. According to you, I'm going to do warrior shit on my own terms. And you have to like deal with the consequences. Like you have to deal with what I choose if because you want me to be the warrior you have to deal with what I decide within that role. He's just like, you can't control me. Like, oh my God, it's just powerful it's, as hell. It's powerful. I also love how on the spot a lot of this is. Like mm -hmm. he didn't, like, it's like at most it's been a few hours. He has not really had time to prepare any of this. No. He's just going off the cuff and yeah. it's, but it's so effective. Yeah. And I love that he's just like trying his best to prop up his friends and like make sure that they get out of this alive. Yeah, again, he's not thinking about himself. None of this is trying to make himself look good. Like he's not even right. thinking about like his uh, verdict. He's yeah. only thinking about the other people right. involved. Right, he's like trying his hardest. Like he's thinking like maybe, maybe I can get out of this. Like he has hope, he's optimistic. Maybe not optimistic, but he has hope. But he really doesn't want Howard and Andromeda involved. So he's taking every opportunity to like make sure that everyone knows that Howard and Andromeda shouldn't be on trial. And I just, I love that. Yeah, his acquittal is like the secondary goal here. Yes. Like it would be a bonus if he gets off. Yeah, But that's not what he's actually trying to achieve at this point. Yeah, Gregor is up on the witness stand thinking like, how do I exonerate these people? Yeah, like ultimately it doesn't matter what happens to me, but like Howard and Andromeda and Ares like definitely have to make it out. The head judge asks Gregor to continue, so he describes their trek through the labyrinth. That's when Vicus enters the courtroom with Nerissa leaning on his arm. She doesn't wear any sort of crown, not even a gold band like Luxa usually wears. She squints at the light as some guards help her up onto the throne. The head judge asks if Nerissa is well enough to join them, and she reveals that she's seen herself at the trial before, though she can't divine the outcome. The narration says, This was the sort of stuff that made everybody think she was crazy. Maybe someone ought to tell her to keep her visions under her hat crown whatever <laughs> which i think is a funny line but also yeah i think this maybe is nodding to the fact that people don't think nerissa is credible at all yeah. like she doesn't have the confidence to pull off being an oracle i think it would be different if like luxa was claiming to be able to see, see the future like people would like admire that right but they just like are very much looking down on Nerissa for her weakness. So the whole visions thing is not helping her case. Right. Nerissa asks, the charge is treason? And Gregor realizes she has no idea what's going on. Which is just like, when she asks that line, you're like, oh god. Oh god, Nerissa. <laughs> the judge confirms and asks if they should start from the beginning, but Nerissa just balls her hands in her skirt and tells them to go on. Then to Vicus, she says, I wish I had some soup, <laughs> which I love. Oh my God, get this girl some soup. The judge prompts Gregor to continue and he tells them how he had to leave Ares behind to go kill the Bane. Then he says, it started crying and calling mama. And I mean, you told me it was like this 10 foot rat. I guess you didn't know or whatever, but I wasn't expecting the Bane to be a baby. Nerissa stands up and shouts, A BABY! <laughs> when Gregor confirms this, Nerissa stumbles down the steps from her throne, waving and shouting frantically. The narration says, As she lurched toward him, he was torn between trying to catch her and just getting out of the way. In the end, he decides to leap off the cube and catch her. She asks, Oh, you did not kill it, did you? And when Gregor assures her that he didn't, Queen Nerissa ends the chapter by sinking to the ground, laughing in relief, and saying, Then we may all yet be saved! 
Oh, what, what a moment. Nerissa just swooping in. Nerissa to the rescue. Just disrupting the entire scene. Yeah, with her obliviousness. First obliviousness, then a super craving, then what exactly is it? A baby? She just says a baby. Yeah, she just stands up and is like, a, a baby. baby. Yeah. And then laughing on the floor. Yeah, oh my god. I love her. I, I mean, love her. I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I love a weird girl character. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's just like side-eyeing each other. Like, what the fuck is she on? And she just doesn't give a shit what no. anyone... Like, she's too oblivious to even know what's going she's on. She's got other priorities to deal with, like, surviving day to day. Yeah. I love how, like, this is, like, basically saving Vega's life. And he doesn't know how to really react to it. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's also not fully on... Like, he's mentioned he's not... He doesn't really know if she has the gift of prophecy either. Yeah. And, like, this interaction is, like... He's not feeling reassured right now. Yeah, no. God. What a set of chapters, though. Yeah. It is interesting, like, the parallels from book to book. Mm -hmm. We've got trial of sorts yeah. at the end. Yeah. We've got babies. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've got the plot twist of the prophecy. I mean, she kind of explains it in the next chapter, yeah. but she's going to be like, the prophecy came true, and... Gregor wasn't supposed to kill the Bane because it was a baby, and it actually says so in the prophecy, and I always thought that was such a cool plot twist. Yeah. That's an interesting thing with prophecies, is, like, nowadays it's rare to see a prophecy played straight, where, like, you get a prophecy that's, like, very clear, and then, like, it actually happens that way. Yeah. But, like, that's kind of what it was in, like, actual, like, older tales. Like, mm -hmm. you get a prophecy, and exactly what it says happens happens with, like, no real swerves. Oh, yeah. Are you thinking, like, King Arthur shit? King Arthur, Greek mythology, mm -hmm. even, like, I don't know. I, fe I just feel like narratives, it used to be less about. It's kind of like with, like, mystery stories, how they weren't always, like, designed for you to be able to figure them out when you read them, like, mm -hmm. whodunits. It used to be just, like, showing the intelligence of the people solving them. Mm. But, like, that's kind of stopped being the case. Now when we see a mystery story, we expect to be able to figure it out ourselves. Right. And it's the same with prophecies now, like, in stories we expect there to be that narrative swerve. Yeah. It's not like one is better than the other. It's just an interesting change. But like, yeah, this is, again, none of these prophecies are straightforward. There's always, that's like the obviously in designed cleverness from Suzanne Collins. Is like, there's yeah. always, like if you were reading this, I did not expect the Bane to be a baby. I didn't think it would, the baby would be Boots mm -hmm. necessarily dying, but I definitely didn't expect it to be the Bane itself. Uh-huh. Yeah, the prophecies are really genius in the way that Suzanne Collins has crafted them to be read on multiple different levels. Like, on the surface level, you read it and you're, like, believing what the regalian, like, most of the regalians think about it, and, like, Vicus kind of gives, like, a little explanation at the beginning of, like, well, this is what we think it might mean. And then at the end, we kind of get, like, oh, no, it actually means this. But then on an even deeper level, we're questioning if the prophecies are real at all and if these interpretations actually have anything to do with anything or if we're just, like, applying what happened to these prophecies. There's, like, so much going on with them. That'll probably end up being its own episode someday. The prophecies. Yeah, just, like, analyzing the prophecies. I'd love to look at them like poetry and just, like... Yeah figure out the meter and the rhyme scheme and stuff. Yeah, she really plays around with a bunch of different formats. Yeah. Like I remember I my I remember I loved the Code of Claw one. The rhyme scheme is so different than what is expected that yes. we built up. Like it's very it's a lot more irregular than just like couplets or whatever. Yeah, I really like the Curse of the Warm Blood. I actually I like all of the prophecies They're in all the good. next three books. Yeah. Curse of the Warm Bloods has a lot going on and it's got kind of like a chorus that it keeps mm -hmm. coming back to. Marks of Secret is Marks of Secret. Marks of Secret is so awesome. It's that its I, own thing. That one I do remember being yes. shocked by. Like that plot was really That's good. was impressive to me. Yeah. I do remember being very impressed as a kid. I can't wait to get to <laughs> Marks of Secret. Anyway, thanks so much for joining me, John. Thanks for having me as always. Yeah, it's so it's so great to be able to discuss these chapters with you. Yeah. Next week, Nate and I will be covering the last two chapters of The Prophecy of Bane. 
After that, I'm taking the whole month of January off. If all goes according to plan, the first episode covering The Curse of the Warm Bloods will air on February 5th, 2024. Hey everyone, it's Editing Una just jumping in here before the end of the episode with an exciting announcement. We've got merch now. Yeah, I set up a Redbubble account for us. We've got stickers, magnets, pins, and t-shirts. One of the designs is our green and purple profile picture logo thing with the drawing of the rat, bat, and spider. And the other design currently on there is Aries and the Flyers? Yeah, Nate and I thought it would be funny if we made Aries and the Flyers t-shirts for real. And you know what? We were right. It's hilarious. So treat yourself to a late holiday gift and get yourself a fake band t-shirt. Any money we make off of selling the merch will go directly toward helping us keep the podcast going. You can find all of that at redbubble.com slash people slash return to regalia. And I'll also put the link in our card at return to regalia.card.co. That's return to regalia.card.co. As always, thank you for listening. And until next time, fly you high.